Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve Podcast. Here's your host. Hi, everyone. Dave here from the How We Solve Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Rose. Michael is a scientist by trade, an entrepreneur by nurture, and an author by passion. He's also the CEO of Mojo Media Labs, an Inc. and Forbes award-winning, full-service, Diamond HubSpot Solutions Agency and Story Brand Certified Agency with hubs in Dallas, Texas, and Indianapolis, and remote talent across the country. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to have you. I know you're a Pennsylvania guy, if I if I am correct. Is that true? That's true. And I, I read something recently. If you're from Pennsylvania, you say PA, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm already I'm giving PA. myself away. <laughs> I'm from PA, and I'd like to even say I'm from Western PA. So no offense to the Philadelphia side. No offense taken. I'm in Philadelphia right now. We're having a rainy day, so you're not missing anything. I moved here a couple of years ago, so I don't have all the lingo down yet. I do appreciate talking with a native Pennsylvanian and learning about you know, what brought you to where you are today. So you now run an agency, as you mentioned. You're also a biochemist by trade originally. But even before that, you were an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about your history, your background, your journey to getting where you are today. Yeah, just as you described all those kind of twists and turn I, turns, I end up writing a book on vision on top of that. So how's that for coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> uh, vision and focus, right? So yeah, I grew up in, I actually technically was born in Fort Worth, Texas and the Dallas-Fort Worth area, as we like to say, the Metroplex, Northern North Texas. And But we moved when I was in first grade to Pennsylvania, where I uh, took uh, moved back to Texas and after my first year in college when I went to Gannon University in Erie. But um, yeah, so I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I grew up in, a, in a, an entrepreneurial family. My parents owned a small Italian uh, grocery store, a deli, if you will. And I learned enough about business through all those years of up through senior year in high school that I knew I never, ever wanted to own my own business <laughs> because I just saw how hard they struggled and for very little return on all that effort, time and money investment. I loved it. It was a childhood blast to be able to grow up in in that type of environment. Um, I did see the toll it took on them. So I, when we moved to Texas, my dad's from Pennsylvania, my mom's from Texas. When we moved to Texas, it was an opportunity for me to do something that did not involve owning a business. And so that's why I went pre-med. I eventually went into research and development at an ophthalmic research company. And, and then it was uh, after my third year working at Elcon Laboratories. I just finished my first year of law school. You know, I was going to go the professional routes and all this stuff. And I called my dad and I said, hey, I was in the lab one day. I called him and said, I'm going to start my own business. And he goes, blankety blank. I can't tell you exactly what he said, <laughs> but you know, you, you are the first one to go to college, much less graduate in our family. So why would you do that? And it was just, I like to say the e-gene or the entrepreneur gene just kicked in. And when that happened in 1997, albeit, there was just no looking back. It, I just, it's been a, just a crazy ride over the past 23, four years, and I wouldn't change it for anything. That's super cool. I think you touched upon a lot of really significant po- uh, points. One of them is the big misconception about being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, that it is all kind of Ritz and, and glory and you know whatever that people might associate with with being a business owner. For many people, it's just difficult. It's difficult. It's stressful. 
barely getting by, actually maybe even the majority of people that is their experience. But the people that do it, well, you mentioned it's like the e-gene, right? It's sort of like you feel like compelled to do it and there's no other way of going about it. Additionally, you know, a lot of times people sort of will ask me, they'll be like, you know, tips for entrepreneurship and and how to sort of, you know, self-improvement and things of that nature. And a lot of it, I think, is getting started as young as possible. Um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I speak with who I think of as being very successful, they were doing the things that you were doing when you were a kid and just helping mom and dad run the store and working with customers and really starting to kind of learn all the hats that people need to wear uh, in order to run a business. And that experience early on, I just think, gives them that head start and helps them develop. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. Absolutely. And I, though I grew up in, in their business, I always had my own little gigs going on the side, not really knowing they were gigs at the time. <laughs> at six years old, I remember stopping cars in front of our house and charging them a nickel toll to pass, you know. And I remember getting, you know, being able to drive in Western PA, uh, driving over to Ohio and picking up fireworks and coming back and selling them to all my friends. It was just a car wash business, and it was just always something that was going on to kind of feed my my creative brain and to help people and to you know make money and, and those kind of things. But I never really, and then with the experience of my parents, I never really had like a professional mentor or a good example or, you know, I saw very successful entrepreneurs, but I didn't necessarily have access to them in a small town of 2,500 people. People know people. And and you knew who the people were doing really well and had exited businesses and had multi-generation businesses and had passed down multiple generations of, of entrepreneurship and experience and what to do, what not to do. And I felt like I had many, many years of what not to do. And in retrospect, that was just a tremendous learning experience for me and that how I've applied it over the past 24 years of owning my business and and been able to instill that, I think, in our employees, which, by the way, we call mojo makers. I hate the word employee. <laughs> I think we all should be in an even level in an organization. Nobody likes to see themselves in the bottom of an org chart. But we treat everybody equal and we, we want to empower everybody to think and act like owners. So we have built various frameworks within Mojo to hopefully allow them to, to feel that. Awesome. Yeah, big believer in sort of a horizontal org structure. So I want to get into that and Mojo Media as well. But just before I skip ahead, you know, too, too fast. You mentioned obviously calling your dad saying you're going to start a business. That was not Mojo Media. That was a, a different business. So you could tell us a little bit about, you know, just the idea, the concept and how that all transpired. Sure. I'm glad you you backed up to that. I think this is an important point, point for entrepreneurs. And I think our mindsets are we see problems and we want to solve them. We see opportunities and we want to create benefit to that. And back in 1997, when I was working in the lab, we wore shirts and ties in the lab. I mean, it was it was a different time back then, and corporate casual wasn't a thing. So I remember the summer of 96, I think it was. Sounds like a song, right? Summer of 96, I remember that they went three months corporate casual in the summertime. So in Texas, it gets a little hot. So they went corporate casual. So like what I'm wearing today, a golf shirt. I just saw about 900 scientists completely scurry for what to wear because they were used to wearing their shirt and their tie. And a lot of them just kind of looked like they got dressed in the dark every morning and came to work, you know. And so I saw an opportunity to do corporate embroidery or corporate embellishment on golf, on shirts, for example. And the first account, so I tested it and I just kind of called some people and my dad was in sales. I asked him to ask his clients who was in the print business. 
And he just was like, oh my gosh, there's this incredible turn going on right now about going corporate casual. So I immediately put law school on hold, decided not to go to medical school on top of the hat. Then I decided to uh, buy a piece of equipment and started doing all the uh, digitizing, as they say, or the design work myself and in the backyard and in their dog shed. They had a big nine by 12 dog shed. We kicked the dogs out. We put an air conditioner in there. We put carpet in there. And, and we started. I started just embroidering shirts day and night that I wasn't working at Alcon. So it was in February of 98, I decided to resign and do this full time. It was just an incredible time. I mean, beyond just solving this incredible need out in the marketplace, nothing fancy, nothing sexy, but we were just embroidering golf shirts, you know, and, and it was super focused and what we did. We went from 400 to eight, 100 to 400 to 800 to over a million in revenue over the following many years. And I learned so much, so many mistakes in that time that, that it was just, but I was having a blast doing it. And so it initially started with seeing a need, creating a product that serves that need, over delivering on customer service and quality. But then I lost track on the business side. I probably at that time couldn't have told you the difference between the top line and the bottom line. To me, it was all about top line sales. So over the past 10, 15 years, we really got the business literacy or the financial literacy down to really understand how to not just deliver on all the things I mentioned, but how to run a successful business at the same time. Awesome. Again, introducing topics that I definitely want to spend time diving into. But I love the the classic entrepreneurship story that that you just shared with us, which is you took some risk, you you put things on hold, you know, law school, med school, like you mentioned, and you went and did this business sort of in your backyard with your family, bought some equipment, not a space that you probably knew an awful lot about, it seems at the time. Did you run into any issues selling shirts to employees within the company that you were working? You know, it's a, that's a funny question because I never, ever sold Elcon. I, I never, <laughs> I, they, yeah. they, they like planted the seed that I took and spread elsewhere, but it, it wasn't necessarily working with Elcon. We did some amazing companies and I, being a chemist and being kind of analytical, and but at the same time, every test I take, I'm equal analytics and creative. And I just needed to feed the creative side. At the same time, though, I love the analytic side. And that's how we've been able to, at the early days, is to start what we would at the time called and maybe still called online company stores. So we were tried to shift to a kind of a in our broader on demand business, if you will. And we created the first few online company stores for American Airlines and Lockheed Martin and the Dallas Stars and radio stations and Roger, if you remember back in the day, Rafael Palmero and Pudge Rodriguez and all these guys. And it was just, I think, a little bit ahead of our time in the cost and creating technology and all that other stuff, but always sprinkling in technology and trying to automate what we did was, was always kind of an exciting thing to do. Super cool. So somewhere along the line, you know, Mojo Media kind of appears. So how did you go about from running this embroidery business to starting a marketing agency? Yeah, great question. I think there's another maybe a little lesson on entrepreneurship in there too. And that is, it was in 2007. It was 10 years after starting the business. I was getting really bored. I was getting complacent. I was getting kind of in a place where I think it's a slow death to an entrepreneur. And what I couldn't understand is that the business was doing well. So I wasn't losing my passion because the business wasn't doing well. I was actually losing my passion because I was losing my zest for like the challenge and the next step and things like that. And, and But ultimately, I know we could deliver more to our clients. And 
I didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but I did know that we weren't doing enough of the analytics and getting talking to sales and marketing decision makers. And we were kind of like on the fringes of what we did. And uh, so we had great client service. We had great clients who kept continue to ask for additional services. And today we have this discipline to protect your yeses and reserve your right to say no, only because we want to only bring on clients who we know we're going to fit. And an entrepreneur, I can think, can fall into the trap sometimes of saying yes to everything, coming back to the office and go, oh, shit, how are we going to do this? Right. So those were the oh, shit days. We just said yes to everything, you know. And one of the things we kept saying yes to is marketing services. So, you know, design and, and creative and eventually websites. And and I really love that side of it because we could measure what we did. We couldn't measure what we did on the other side. We can do impressions and things like that, but it really wasn't driving measurable results to our clients. So so that reignited my passion in what we were doing on the services side of the business. So very, very fortunate to having the experience of growing up in an entrepreneurial family where my mom and dad worked together. What happened in 2011 and 2012 when Mojo Media Labs, which evolved out of the service side of the product business, became more mature and started to really kind of find our way. My wife, Nicole, took over the product business, Marketing Candy, and ran that and allowed me to just found Mojo and, can, and figure out what we were going to do with it. So long story short, in 2016, we sold the product company so Nicole and I could exclusively focus on Mojo. So technically, though, Mojo's been around since, I think, 2007, 2008. We really haven't really run it with two, with both of our full-time focuses for the first year in 2017. And since then, it's just been an absolute joy to, to see it grow. That's awesome. A lot of people, they, they struggle a little bit to work with their significant other. It's difficult to work with anybody, but let alone to have it be a business and also a marital partner. So hats off if you've been doing it for a number of years, it's working for you. I love that you know you mentioned financial literacy. And I'm not, I have no idea where else I will fit that into this. So I think I'm just going <laughs> to go for it. I'm just going to kind of beeline towards it. And we'll find a way to get back to break even in terms of uh, our conversation later. Agencies have a reputation, I think. Well, actually, entrepreneurs, agencies have a reputation of being very poor with financial literacy. I often find myself sometimes shocked a little bit when I look at you know the expenses. I go, did I really spend like all that money on that? And you know, not really prioritizing profit and saying yes to things like you mentioned, and maybe not actually having done the full extent of the calculations about what's it going to cost and what did we actually make on that work and how much time did I personally put in? So, you know, how does all that factor into, you know, what you mentioned about financial literacy and to the extent that that's a part of, you know, Mojo's organization values mission? Sure. So this is a real passion topic for me, and it is for Nicole too, my wife. And when, again, going tapping into, we're all kind of a product of our experiences, right? So particularly childhood, I think, is when we really kind of, it's rooted in how we think and feel and act and our emotions, whether conscious or subconscious, I think is so important for the entrepreneur to have self-awareness, you know what I mean? Be it our relationship with money or our relationship with others, or I think that's just really important. And my mom was always very good with the books, never had an education, but basically did really well with accounting, if you will, and bookkeeping, which later there is a huge difference between bookkeeping and, and controller and accountant and CFO. You have to have different eggs in your basket, right? As an entrepreneur. But she was really good with that. My dad, not so much. I mean, he was more customer service and he just was incredible with people. 
but not so much on the on the finance side. I wanted to uh, when I started my business, I remember my mom saying, "Hey, you know, you've been doing all this invoicing, but where where's the where's the income? Where where where's the where are the checks?" And I'm like, "I don't know." That she went out to my pickup and she looked around and she was like, $10,000 check here and $12,000 check here." And I was like, that part just never really was important to me. As sad as that sounds, but I think it's pretty common and not just for agency owners, but for entrepreneurs. And so I, I read something very early on. It says, know thy numbers. And I wanted to take the pest of my both worlds of experience and being able to instill that in the mojo makers. And I think not only do business owners, agencies maybe, but business owners in general or entrepreneurs not have a good understanding of the numbers. But ne- what, what I'm finding is that neither do the employees. So an employee thinks, and you touched on this earlier, which I think is really observant, that in the line that if if the agency does $5 million, most employees think the owners are making $5 million. And that that's a tremendous gap that we have to solve for. And, and when I mean financial literacy, I mean not just from the owner's perspective, but across the board. How do we teach literacy, financial literacy to, to people? And it's just not being taught in school today. You, we're, we're not teaching our children the importance of debt and how credit cards impact and student loans and Please forgive my student loan because I can't. I mean, it's just financial literacy is just paramount to living a life you love. And we want to do everything we can, not just within Mojo, but to teach each Mojo maker how to manage money. And the way we do that is we do that through managing Mojo's budget. So every employee at Mojo knows exactly not just our revenue. They know every one of our expenses, every one of our revenue line items. They know exactly how much net operating profit or what we say profit before tax, we make every single week and we go over it every single week. So every employee in the company has a line item responsibility on the P&L. So think of it as you're a front end developer or a content creator or a marketing specialist. They are managing, say, travel or, or fixed expense in the areas of, say, administrative or office expenses or the revenue, a, a revenue line item. And they're responsible for that. So, you know, in this world, right, SaaS is such a huge expense to not just our clients, but to the agency. So we have somebody who's a a CRM specialist, Danny. She manages our SaaS line item, which is almost $10,000 a month. And she manages that. So as you you know, people always run across the new cool tool, right? It's like, hey, we need this. And it's only $35 subscription per month or it's $400 a year. They don't come to me. They don't go to Nicole. They go to Danny and say, hey, Danny, can we afford this or not? And she makes the decision. And if it, she's able to say, hey, it's in the budget, let's do it. If it's not, what can we get rid of? So then they start managing the line items. So, hey, so she'll review all those line subscription line items and go, hey, are we really using X, Y, and Z? And she sends out you know, a note to everybody, are we really using that? And what ends up happening when somebody wants to get something is we end up saving money in the long run because we find and discover other tools that we don't need. So that's just one example. But when it comes to travel, we have somebody managing the travel that's not me or Nicole. We don't make those financial decisions. We set the budget at the beginning of the year and we just unleash what we call open book management on the team. We train them on financial literacy, how the company makes money, how it loses money. But what's nice is we want everybody to feel like an owner in the company where they can make those decisions and not just be buried in client work, but to really work at the agency level, which I think a lot of people don't get to do, much less even the owners of the agency sometimes because they're experts. They're working in a discipline somewhere delivering client work. So when it comes to that, every Monday at 11 a.m., 20 minutes, everybody jumps, used to jump in a room, but now we're jumping on Zoom calls and basically having our 20-minute open book meeting and probably... 
50% of the time, Nicole and I are not in those meetings. They just, they run their own. And at the end of the day though, um, it's it, the performance the, is tied to everybody's bonus. So we have a 20 level bonus program, one to 20% of your annual salary that we pay out based on how the financial performance of the agency is doing run and managed by them. And with that, they can make decisions like, hey, it's, sometimes we can add profit, not just by increasing revenue, but we can add profit by conserving expenses. And that's, that's decisions that the entire team makes. And I'm really proud to say that Q1 looks like it's going to wrap up to about an 18% bonus for everybody. And um, that's what, what a cool way to, to share that, that with everybody in the company. And at the end of the day, Nicole and I get the exact same bonus as everybody else. So, you know, we're, we're doing our best to hit that PPT number as well, which is called our critical number. Wow. <laughs> that was so good. That was, that was so good. I've talked with a lot of people on the podcast, but not even just on the podcast, but this, I think you are definitely the first person who has ever really presented you know, this open book financial concept that, that you just mentioned. A lot of people talk about transparency, and I think a lot of people are transparent in their organizations, but what you're kind of presenting now is, is next level. And really is about, you know, when you say, oh, I want, I don't want employees to be at the bottom of the org chart. I want everyone to feel horizontal. That's the type of stuff that really backs up that claim that says, you know, I'm not just kind of saying that, but I really live it. So I I do really respect that. I try, you know, in shortlist as well to build towards the financial literacy, because you're right. There's such a misconception about what the agency makes and how much of that goes to the owner or the people at the top. You know, I think it's, it's assumed, yeah, that if you make 50 or 100 or a million or whatever it is in a month, you know, that all that's kind of going to the owner. And actually, that might not be the case at all. In fact, at my agency, for the vast majority of it, I never even really have taken a salary. I basically have been like taking some share of profit, which is totally not what you're supposed to be doing, but is unfortunately very common. And so, I'll have a month that you know will go really well, but then I'll have a month where like the profit was negative, and it's like actually I worked for free that month. I gave that away, and people have a bit of a misunderstanding. So I've tried with department head level, senior level people to invite them more into the books because if you do have everybody looking at it and, and owning it, that's to, they're going to make profit a priority, and I think that that is super important. And the last bit was really well, how does this all tie back? To their incentive. I was waiting to kind of hear, you know, how you connected the dots because at the end of the day, people are only really going to care about profit if it means something for them. And what you mentioned is, is basically a bonus structure, which is tied at least in part to the performance of the agency. We've been trying to do like profit sharing ourselves. It's like, so at the end of the day, if you want to do what you're presenting, you have to have some way to tie it back so that everybody can benefit. And then, you know, you're, you're saying that what you take as an owner is the same 18% that everybody else takes really says, hey, I'm in the trenches with you. We don't give any special treatment here. So, yeah, really so good. Yeah, really well, really well said. I mean, you, you really kind of like the way you really drive some of these things home, which are kind of difficult to understand sometimes. I mean, thank you for re-explaining it to, to the listeners. A real quick story on transparency, and I'm so glad you picked up on that, is 
we had, this is many, many years ago now, but we, every month we do open book management, right? Or sorry, every week we do open book management. And we were asked by an organization if they could send in business owners and sit in our open book management meeting, we call the huddle. And we like, you know, we're transparent. We share, you know, with, you know, we actually implement OBM for agencies who's now reached out to us and said, how do we do it? You know, so Nicole is just a genius at doing that. One month we said, sure, we'll do it. And it was like six months in advance or something. And then it was absolute, probably our worst month we've had in a long time. And we had 40 or some business owners, you know, in Dallas at our office coming in and the entire company was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? I mean, we're actually showing negative profit this month and we're not showing positive trends. It was just, it was a mess at the time. And I don't remember the circumstances, but um, we're like, nope, we're on, we're doing it. We are transparent. We are honest about this and what happened in that meeting. And by the way, Nicole and I didn't do it. We had the traditional meeting. So everybody got up and this is when we had it on a board. Some people were look, you know, changing the numbers on the, on the whiteboard. We actually had an intern come in and speak saying, this has changed how I think about money and those kind of things. But what happened was we were like, guys, listen, this is just the way it is. There's a lot of red on this board. And the conversation it started in those 40 businesses was absolutely chilling. They were like, you know what? I was kind of faking it too. You know, we're not doing well as well. You know, and then you talk about imposter syndromes and all this other stuff that we can talk about at another time. But, you know, we all live this imposter syndrome that everything's going well and we don't want to share the negative news. We just want to share positive. And then we have a tendency to spin the negative to even be positive. Because if you ask any business owner, hey, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Really? I mean, let's get deeper, you know? So, but that was just kind of like drop your shorts in front of 40 different people in front of a that you're supposed to be an expert in, in open book management and running an agency. And you, you, those things happen, you know, And but it was the team who got us all out of it. It wasn't me and Nicole or senior leadership or whatever. It was everybody really knowing exactly what to do, how to respond. So when COVID hit last year, man, we were just in a beautiful position to really just keep trucking like we always do. And, and it turned out to be one of our best years ever. And there you go. And that's why you do that, because so many other agencies, you know, and businesses in general went under, you know, if you weren't strong, if you didn't have the savings, then you had a really tough year. So I haven't heard too many people say it was their best year ever, unless you were selling toilet paper and face masks, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, I recently read a book called Profit First. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'll, I'll throw it out there if you're listening and you kind of want to take the conversation further. I, I think it presents like a good methodology about how basically thinking about profit first. Well, anyway, I won't spoil it, but it's something to to look into for sure. Do you run into any issues with just, I guess, employees seeing some numbers? Maybe they're not seeing people's individual salaries because, you know, particular line items get rolled up and you don't necessarily see the individual granular picture. But, you know, do people ever, I guess, look at some of the expenses and go, whoa, I mean, you know, the dev team over there and they start kind of pointing fingers, you running into stuff like that? No, we haven't yet. And it's been, I think we're on our fifth year of doing this. So uh, haven't experienced that yet. What, <laughs> what it's done though, is I've become more disciplined over time. Like, you know, as a business owner, you go out to dinner or you go on a trip, you know, and it's right off, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, when you start to do well, you spend more money and you're probably a little less disciplined and you know, whether it's a dinner or a trip or whatever the case might be. And I started going, whoa, wait a second, I have a budget. <laughs> I can't spend that money because that's going to people's bonuses, right? So it created a discipline within me that I think they appreciated. So as a quick side note to that, what Nicole and I will do, we'll 
still do those things that's appropriate within running a business, but we'll put it as we say, quote unquote, below the line. So if we spend money that we don't feel like is going to benefit the agency, then we'll put it that's out below the line or that doesn't impact profit, profit before tax. So if anything, it's created very positive disciplines in the company. I've not seen any negatives whatsoever. We have we have many testimonials that we we did. We do a lot of OBM, open book management type content. And we have many video testimonials of, of Mojo Maker saying, I won't work anywhere else that doesn't do, that doesn't share the financials. I mean, I just got laid off of my previous job. I was hired at Mojo. If I'd have just known they were having problems, if I'd just known, I, I would have done something that's quote unquote, outside the four corners of my job description to help the agency because I'm committed. I'm engaged. I want to do things. I want to do more, but I just didn't know what to do. So I think that if anything, there has just been this incredible sense of responsibility across the board that if there is anything that people might say, okay, we hired somebody, this went up this much, but there's ways to set up the books that allows you to give them the insights that you need them to have to make good solid decisions, but not literally open up QuickBooks and show your entire P&L. So there's ways to set it up. And there's very important ways, I think, that that you can set up. If it's not set up properly, then yeah, I think you'll run into those problems. One of the biggest things real quick, and I, I want to mention, because if you're an owner and you're thinking about incentivizing through profit sharing that or a bonus or whatever you might want to call it, that might make you nervous for the transparency perspective, but it also might make you nervous to say, hey, you know what? This is my business. I've worked really hard at this. I've put 20 years into this. You know, I have complete in debt. Like you said, I've taken zero W-2 income for three months at times when we're low. By the way, Profit First is a great book to pay yourself first. I think that's a good methodology. But, but what I think is important is that, that it just becomes so far on the bonus side is that, for example, if our Q1 bonus, as an example, was, say, $300,000 across the entire agency, what we do, and this is very transparent with everybody in the company, we don't pay out 100% of the bonus. In Q1, we pay out 10%. So if you look at the quarters, one, two, three, four, it's 10, 20, 30, 40%, and all that adds up to 100, right? So we pay 10% of the 300 in Q1. Then it's cumulative. So in Q2, if we hit our PBT, profit before tax numbers, then we'll pay out 20%. And then in Q3, 30, and then 40%. And the year before COVID, we did every quarter, 10, 20, 30, 40%. That way you're preserving the cash flow of the agency. You're not having, and if you, you're creating an insurance that if you have a down quarter, then you're not, you've loaned the, the whole budget in Q1. So there's ways to set up bonus that I truly, and I can honestly say, I truly am excited when we pay out 18% bonus because I know we're being we have this fiduciary responsibility to the agency, but I do also feel that people who work really hard and get you to an 18% bonus out of a 20-level program should benefit as well as if they were owners. So there's ways, there's mines, landmines across it, but there's ways to do it and do it where you genuinely are leaning in with everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, I think that the, the obvious segue here is, you know, where do people kind of learn more about OBM? You mentioned having some content on your site. I don't know if there's a book that they can check out. I don't know if there's maybe blogs or videos, but just so that people can take a next step with, you know, OBM and, and what you guys have done the agency, how would they go about doing that? Sure. One of my mentors, his name is Jack Stack. And Jack Stack is in Springfield, Missouri, uh, is founder of SRC Holdings in he is uh, run his business and businesses are probably close to a billion dollars now. And he created this, what we call the great game of business. 
and he did that probably 20 years ago. So we initially started following this process called Great Game of Business. And Jack's company, SRC Holdings, is a manufacturing company. So Great Game of Business was initially designed for product manufacturing industrial type companies where people on the line could say, do I need to order a new drill bit or should I sharpen the one I have now, right? How do I make better decisions with raw materials and output and receivables, et cetera, and teaching financial literacy to in that industry? What we discovered, though, is it really wasn't aligned very well, at least in the early days, I think it is today, with service-based organizations and particularly marketing agencies, right? So we were able to take that concept and really kind of evolve it on our own and follow more of an open book management philosophy and not just a great game of business philosophy. But that's a great place to start to educate on how this whole concept works. Very cool. Thank you for that tip. Although I think it deserves a better word than tip because it's bigger than that. I, I can't imagine where where I would take the conversation from here that would be better than what we've already discussed. So I think, Mike, I would allow you to share maybe a little bit about, you mentioned a mission, and I don't know if it's related to everything with financial literacy, but just about the mission for Mojo and also where people can find you, learn more about you if, if they'd like to do so. Sure. So through all my, thank you for asking, and through all my struggles, I published a book in 2012 called Return on Energy or ROE, if you will, Return on Energy, ROE powers ROI. And it's called The Ultimate Way to Think and Communicate for, for Ridiculous Results. And I published this book in 2012 with all that pain we were going through, through 07 and 12. And the book just kind of changed the way we thought as, as business owners and how we communicated to clients. And it became a, a, another passion project of mine to really figure out a way to help entrepreneurs really organize, create a framework on how they can communicate both externally and internally within their business. And it kind of sat there for many years and we used it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've over the past couple of years have had this imposter syndrome thinking that way a second. I, I, I wrote this book. It's not about marketing. It's about entrepreneurship. But yet we really haven't fully integrated it into Mojo. And I really struggled with that for many years. And it was when COVID hit, it just was a light bulb moment for me. And I felt to a certain degree, I don't know how this is going to come across, but I felt to a certain degree that we could, I could almost like control a recession. We could make decisions within the business to overcome threats or, or weaknesses to survive, to, to continue to improve. But when COVID hit was really my first my first chance as an entrepreneur to go, I just feel completely out of control. I just do not know what is going on right now. And that's where I really tapped into ROE. And what I discovered was that ROE is not here as a framework to grow my business. ROE is here as a framework to help me live the life I love. So it was, so my personal mission is to energize entrepreneurs to grow their businesses, to live the life they love. So what ROE did for me, Return on Energy, is help me live the life I love first, and then it grew my business. So for eight years, I'm trying to grow my business to live the life I love, and that's not the way it works. You have to create your life that you love first, and it'll grow your business. It's absolutely tremendous what happens. So what, what I'm doing now is in the process of creating digital courses for entrepreneurs to help grow your business. And we focus on the grow you part first before we grow your business. I'm super excited about it. I can't wait to, to share this with, with a lot of you know, entrepreneurs. They may need that additional help to focus on themselves to grow their business first. And this is, uh, if you want more information, you can go to returnonenergy.com, sign up for the, if you want to be notified when the courses go live. And it's because of ROE, I've been able to work at Mojo now about two days a month. And this is 
just such a, a privilege to be able to get to this point that I want to really teach other people how to do it and do it much faster than what I did. Awesome. I, uh, I'm i going to guess just looking at the golf shirt and the master's plaque on the wall on how you spend the other 28 days of your month. Uh- <laughs> I should say golf, right? I did play golf in high school. I love golf, but I'm now, I've played more golf over the past three months, which is twice, than I did over the past 10 years. So I'm hoping to do a lot more. Cool. Look forward to that as well when I get when I get some time for that. The weather's just starting to get nicer. Thanks so much, Mike, for sharing with us just a very honest and transparent conversation that also included not one, but really two new topics that I think we all could really stand to learn a lot more from. And that's you know the open book management, OBM, and the return on energy ROE. First time I've heard either of those you know, in a conversation that I've had. So, and just obviously we should mention, you know, mojomedialabs.com if you are interested in you know, marketing services. So thank you again for your time. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. This has been so fun. Thanks. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.